A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by TriVegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I have a new friend on with me today, Amber Hagberg. Amber is a yoga teacher and life coach, helping women prioritize themselves. Having worked with dozens of overachievers over the years, she gives them tools for yoga to help their mental and emotional health. She's living in Costa Rica, one of my favorite countries, and we just talk about Costa Rica, yoga, and healing after grief. Please enjoy my talk with Amber. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I have a new friend with me today, Amber, another yoga instructor. Welcome, Amber. Thank you, Laura, for having me. You're so welcome. I'm so glad you're on here today because it's always wonderful to talk to another yoga teacher at a different stage in life. You're also a life coach. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into yoga and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I think that you know yoga tends to find us in those times where we need it the most. Uh, at least for me and in my experience, but um, I was going through like a traumatic life experience with losing my father to cancer. I'm really just struggling to find my way. I was the mantra in my head that kept repeating itself was I just want to be happy. And a friend introduced me to yoga and it was where I found my happy place. What was it in particular that you found happiness? I mean, I guess you were coming with a lot of grief. I imagine I've also lost my dad. So I'm very sorry about that. Grief is such a motherfucker. I mean, it really can drown you. So what was it about yoga that made you feel lighter or happier? I felt like there was just this coming home where there was space between my thoughts and I could really just show up as I am, whether I was showing up with strength and really going through the postures and feeling the power or just lying in Shavasana and crying. It was a place that held me no matter what was passing through me at that moment. Mm, that's wonderful. How, what had you been doing um, as a self-care or movement practice prior to this experience? I had none. And that was where it was the first place, like when I went to the gym or I tried to exercise, I just dreaded it. I was looking at the clock and just waiting to get out. Um, and it was the first place where the hour just slipped away. So how many years ago was that? And, and what were the next steps for you? That was in 2008. And it was a journey. You know, I was very consistent. I had a monthly membership. I was going back to the mat. And then 
I would stop practicing and then I would start practicing. And basically what happened is yoga led me to drop out of college. I was going to college because it was what would make my dad proud. And at one point I told my stepsister, I'm going to drop out of college and go study yoga in Colorado. And so I journeyed to Colorado and became a yoga instructor. And that is where I found the commitment to a daily practice. Mm. What kind of practice were you involved in? Was it a a particular lineage? It started in um, hot yoga. It developed into Bikram in Colorado. They had, you know, the 30-day challenges. And then I started moving more towards Anyasara and alignment-based. And so you became a full-time instructor at that point. Yeah. So in your bio, you, you talk about that you have really helped people, women in particular, who are overachievers and doers and not really necessarily taking a lot of self-care. How did you get to the stage where you were targeting women in particular? What did you notice? Well, it was because before COVID happened, I was leading yoga teacher trainings and yoga retreats. And obviously that was no longer a thing for a while. And so what I really started to do was craft a program where yoga could help women start to take care of themselves because I had reached a place of burnout where I was just like trying to do more and achieve more. And I found myself like losing my own practice. And then the more I got to know my friends and you know the colleagues, people that were practicing yoga is that women in, in general were like, okay, what more can I do? And it was yoga was that reminder that like being was enough. So how could I come back to the practice of just like letting yoga be a practice of being rather than like, oh, I need to go do my yoga. So how this is a, a tricky spot for a lot of people. They love yoga, they become yoga teacher. And then they work really hard and are trying to make it a business. But many run into a wall of being able to make it a sustainable business, to be able to teach full-time, and at the same time, to also maintain their practice. Do you have any tools that you help women with or any yoga teachers, males, but by far and large, the, the population is still mostly women, tools to help them in their entrepreneurship, but also in their path of maintaining their own well-being. Yeah. And this is really where I started to see what was happening leading yoga teacher trainings is that after I got out of my yoga teacher training, I was teaching 14, 16 yoga classes a week. Where was the time for my own practice? And there really wasn't. And so I saw that happening with my yoga students that were graduating their 200 hour. And it was like, for us to be amazing, you know, teachers, we have to embody the practice. So the first thing is our own practice. And so I always say like your, your teaching starts on your yoga mat with your own personal practice. And so really committing to at least 10 minutes every single day where you meet yourself on your mat. And I think that that's where the gems of our teaching come from is what we learn on the yoga mat. And so reminding my students and you know those that I talk with that the first place that we start is moving our own bodies, doing our own meditations so that what we learn there we can, you know, deliver to our students. I could not agree more. I do think that it is a struggle when teachers who fall in love with yoga then become yoga teachers and lose their own practice. They're losing the best part of teaching, which is playing on the mat, practicing on the mat, finding out nu- nuances uh, of how to teach and how to educate. Where are you in your like 
practice now in terms of what are you discovering? That yoga can be stillness as well. I used to think that, you know, yoga had to be a two hour morning practice and every single day I needed to do it. And what I've learned, you know, in the last six months is sometimes yoga is simply just sitting and breathing. My my personal practice has developed more into a meditation, pranayama, uh, journaling, like than so much the movement. I move my body every day, but giving myself permission to take days of rest rather than have it be this rigidity practice where every single day I need to move, even if my body's sore or tired. Oh, I think that's beautiful. It's really listening to that inner voice of what you need. And that balance, really what yoga is inviting us to do is find more balance in our life. And that doesn't always mean, like you said, a two-hour rigorous practice. It could be sitting, it could be walking in nature, it could be journaling about your feelings so that you're they're not just sitting in your body and hardening there. It's it's um it is multifaceted and I think that it's more recognized now that there are many aspects of yoga for sure. So you also moved to Costa Rica after after living in Colorado. What was the impetus there? I mean that's one of my favorite countries in the world. So I don't really have I understand like you don't really actually even need a rational reason. It's just like an, an amazing place to live. But what stirred that for you? Mm. I think you just said it in one of your uh, suggestions for ways in which we can practice and, and it's being in nature. Um, I think that yoga is bringing us back to our t- true nature and being in Costa Rica, you are living in it. Um, it's so abundant with waterfalls and wildlife and trees. And the first time I came here, when I was going home, I was like, I feel like I'm leaving a part of me behind. It took me, you know, I thought that Colorado brought me down into like my root chakra. It really grounded me into myself and my path. And I feel like Costa Rica guided me into a place to live from my heart. Wow. And you've lived there for five years? It's going on seven now. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about being an expat in a, in a gorgeous Pura Vida land. Um, what is the, I think you've touched on what is one of the most magical things, but what are some other magical things and what is the most challenging thing? Because I think that's also probably important to recognize for people who are just wanting to pick up and, and move that there are some challenges for sure. So can you touch on both like any other magical things besides the nature, probably the pace of life, but also what are the challenges? Yeah, I think that here uh, it's great because, you know, it's the Pura Vida, you know, everything's like slow motion, be in the moment, like this is it. And also I realized I brought my speed with me, you know, I brought my culture or lifestyle with me and it's really taught me how to slow down and be more present, but also just the community of people here that want to live a happy, healthy lifestyle. It's contagious. And so being, you know, as a yoga studio or having your family, your friends, it's like being held and surrounded by people that are like you really inspires you to be more of who you are. And then of course, being in nature, there's nothing more magical than than seeing monkeys and, and sloths and dolphins and just being in the sunshine all the time. And, you know, I always tell my students that come, I feel like anyone I've ever met when they come to Costa Rica, they either want to move here or they do move here. (laughs) And at the same time, so many people try and it's not for everyone because it's challenging. Like if you want to go to the bank, if you want to pay bills, if you want to do anything that's real life, you're talking about an entire day. 
um, waiting in lines, getting, you know, spend in circles, or the fact that I have to leave every 90 days and go do a border run, which before COVID was fine, but now it's like, okay, I need to get my, you know, COVID test and I need to make sure that I can go here without insurance. And so it's not easy place to live. And it really gives you the ability to take your yoga mat practice off the mat when there's things that you just can't control, like, you know, paying certain bills. Mm-hmm. So when you say you have to leave every 90 days, I guess that was going to lead into my next question. What are the logistics of living there as an expat? Are, are you trying to get uh, some kind of the equivalent of a green card? Is that even possible? And every 90 days, so that's every three months, you have to go into another country. And how long do you have to stay away from Costa Rica? So the rule is every 90 days, you need to leave the country for at least 72 hours. However, they do let you just go over to Panama, get stamped and come back in depending on the person. So sometimes it's in and out. And sometimes they're like, nope, you need to wait three hours. Nope, you need to wait eight hours. No, actually you need to get a hotel. So just depending on who and what they say. Um, So there's always a surprise and you just have to be ready. But basically to get like residency here, it's really challenging. You either have to invest $250,000 into property, land, or business. You have to get married or have a baby. So to get something realistic, other than leaving every 90 days, is a process and a really big commitment to being here. Um, with COVID, things are changing a bit and they're trying to put together like a work visa where if you work online or you make X amount of dollars every month outside of the country, they're working on putting together a year-long visa. So that's in the making. But I honestly know people that have been doing what I've been doing for the last seven years for 30 or 40 years and they haven't changed anything. Wow. And which, which region of uh, Costa Rica do you live in? I live in the Southern Osa Pacific. Most people know closest to Manuel Antonio, like 45 minutes south. Yeah. So I've been to the Osa region um, at Blue Osa. It's a wonderful retreat mm-hmm. place. And you can see Panama. So once you said Panama, I was like, you're down in the south. If you're going to Panama versus Nicaragua, which was probably like Tamarindo, people would go up there. How did you choose the Southern region, which is, by the way, I mean, every part of Costa Rica is magical going into the volcano area, but along the coast. But there is something super magical about Osa because of just the plethora of wildlife, the macaws right there in your front lawn and the different two different types of at least two different types of monkeys, I think. But what how did you settle on that? Is that where you had originally come to when you first came to um, Costa Rica? Yeah. So I first started going to Jaco Hermosa, which is up north and it's more touristy, more more dry. And then discovered this place on, on a surf trip. And it was literally where the ocean meets the jungle. And there's we're just surrounded by like wildlife and waterfalls. And there was a really strong community here that pulled me, but it was exploration. And in the last seven years, I've traveled all over Costa Rica and it's still like biasly my favorite, my favorite part of Costa Rica. So what is your daily life there like with your job? Can you just walk us through that in terms of, you know, are you mostly working online? Do you have people coming to visit you? I know this has been an, uh, an unusual year because travel has not been this, as it normally is, but what is your typical day like in Costa Rica? Yeah. So I wake up, I always wake up at like 
4.45, 5 a.m. with the birds and the light. It's just what has adapted to me. I wasn't always a morning person. And then I have, you know, two hours of my my morning practice journaling, moving my body, um, having tea or coffee. And then I'll get into work and I'll work for a couple hours, have breakfast, go for a walk, come back to work, go for, you know, a yoga practice, come back to work or go for a surf. And it's just in and out of my computer with the balance of moving my body or going to see a friend. I'm finally getting ready to do some yoga retreats July and December this year. So that's exciting to be in human flesh. But um, before COVID happened, I was doing you know several yoga teacher trainings every year with some yoga retreats on the side. And obviously the last 16, 18 months, it's all been online. Um, so finding that balance and, and missing the human connection, I am excited to be able to bring people down here and get off the computer some. Yes, I can imagine. So you wrote that you especially like creating rituals around the sun. Is this something that is part of the offerings you give or you do it yourself or or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. Something I like to just kind of preach upon or teach upon is the power of our morning ritual and waking with the sun and starting our day with ritual because it sets the tone. It primes us for the entire rest of the day. And it's also just this peaceful time where you get to be with yourself and, you know, move your way, move yourself into your day, however it is you choose, rather than, you know, my old lifestyle of just jumping up and doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It's very true. It really is the way it sets kind of sets the pace and the mood of the day, how you have a morning ritual. So when you're working with people, what what is your typical client? Are you working with all yogis or do people contact you because they want to learn about how to create these rituals in their lives? Yeah, it's yogis and not. Um, Some that have practiced before or wanted to practice, some that have never practiced. And it's those that are wanting to find routine it's like they've always had that idea of having a morning ritual or consistency in their daily practice. And it's like the missing piece of how. It's like what I used to struggle with is like, I love yoga. I want to make it part of my life, but I struggle with the consistency. So, you know, anyone that I work with, it's really taking an assessment of their life. And not everyone is it possible to have the morning ritual. And so we we look at what daily life is like, the structure of their day and People always ask, when's the best time to practice? And I say, when you'll do it. Because the best time to practice is when you'll actually get on your mat and move your body. And so I just love to help women, especially. Um, I've worked with some men, but mostly my focus has been on women because it's what I can relate to. um, And it's what I know the best. But how to make yourself number one, prioritize yourself and give yourself time every single day to create these rituals where when we can align with you know the moon with the sun with our own fluctuations of being a woman how do we practice self-care and self-love through those fluctuations well amber it really sounds like you have learned how to do that did you just is this all intuitive and and practical experience or did you go to some kind of school for life coaching I've done I've done a little bit of on my own and I've also gone to you know studied online with different coaches and that sort of thing. I didn't go like to traditional school, but I've taken coaching courses. I've read a handful of leadership books, 
many yoga teacher trainings, studied over a thousand hours in yoga teacher training. And it's fascinating for me because when I was in college, I wanted to study psychology. And then what I realized is I was studying psychology, but it was yogic psychology. So how to make yoga as a part of how we live our life. And that was really for me when I was like sitting with like, what can I share? It was like, oh, I started to just take the yamas and the niyamas and apply them to our everyday life and using tools, different yoga, breathing exercises, meditations to align with each one of the yamas and niyamas and let that be a carving for how we live our life off the mat. People might not be familiar with the, the yamas and niyamas, these, these tenets of yoga philosophy. Can you give an example of a few ways to implement some of the yamas and niyamas off the mat and explain a little bit about your interpretation of what they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the uh, the yamas are the way in which you interact with the external world. So your relationship with others. And then niyamas are the way in which you interact with yourself. So inner relationship. And so, for example, number one in uh, yamas is ahimsa, ahimsa being like kindness, compassion, self-care. And when I look at this one, it's like, how can we treat others, animals, plants, beings, friends, family with kindness and compassion if we aren't ourselves? So thinking about the way you talk to yourself, the way you think about yourself, the way you treat yourself, and then letting that be a mirror um, of how you treat other people. Uh, yama number two is satya or truthfulness. And, you know, on a basic level, it's like being honest, you know, telling the truth. And then we can look at it a little bit deeper. Like, okay, if you're going out on a date with a friend and she's like, look at my dress. I love this dress. I just got it, but you absolutely hate it. Um, you're going to go back to ahimsa and think like, I don't want to hurt her feelings. And rather than, you know, speaking your opinion, um, I, I think like opinion is something that can be changed, whereas your truth cannot. And to give another example, it's like, if you're in a relationship and you no longer want to be with that person, of course, you're going to hurt them. It's not going to be nice, but your truth can't be changed. So having those uncomfortable conversations when you're wanting to live in a place of truth, honesty, but always referring back to ahimsa, kindness. So treating others with love and respect. For niyamas, your inner in a relationship, number one is satya or purity. So when we're looking at purity, it's like, what are the quality of your thoughts? How are you dressing? What are you eating? Um, is your car a mess? Is your house clean and organized? What does your external world look like? Because the external world is going to be a mere reflection of your inner world. And so making sure that you're, you know, getting rid of clothes you don't need, organizing your cabinets and being kind to yourself, eating things that make you feel good, eating things that make you feel more alive. And these are just some examples of a few, but there's five yamas and five niyamas. Oh, those were, that was, were beautiful examples. And I love how you intertwined that kind of kindness trumps everything unless it's like ultimately not going to be kind in the end. Like if you're, if you're not living your truth, that's ultimately not going to be kind to yourself. But you're also not going to be your best self in the world if you're not living in that space of truth. And that can be really challenging. And, and I like what you said about opinions, that opinions can be changed. And that's all they are as well. Like something that you don't, like you don't like your friend's dress is an opinion, but if she really loves it. That's all that really matters, you know? And being kind, I think obviously our world needs a lot more kindness. And, and these moments of pause and reflection before we speak or act, and behave like is this a is this kind and is it necessary? 
those are really great questions to ask. So for somebody that, um, because again, in the state of the world, we have a ton of anxiety. I think it's you know, kind of at a um, probably world record high in terms of history. And there's a lot of reasons for that. What are some tips you could give or that you do give for people who are struggling with anxiety and just feel kind of out of control because of the, the anxiety that prevails? Mm-hmm. I would say it's two things. Number one, every single morning when you wake up before doing anything, just simply be with your breath. Use that time in the, mo- the morning, whether you place your hands on your heart or your stomach and you just breathe, continuously bringing your awareness back to your breath. Because if you just get up and start going, when something sparks in you that's going to cause more anxiety or stress, you're going to be more quickly to follow the anxiety or the stress than to remember to come back to your breath. So that when you take that five minutes in the morning, you can remember that moment, those morning five minutes, and incorporate it into your day. So when you notice the heart beating faster, sweat coming, or the mind starting to spiral or spin out, you can say, oh, I'm just going to take five deep breaths. And to know that the breath is a tool that's so close to you, it's just right there. The only difference is bringing your awareness to it. Especially right now, there's stress, there's anxiety, not just in our own selves, but as the collective. So it's magnified. If you're someone that is an empath that really feels the weight of the world or people that you care about, to have that boundary of like where you start in the world begins is going to be that five minutes in the morning. Mm, I love that. I lo- you're right. It's like setting the day again. And how about in the moments that they start off the day well, but they're at work or have a situation that is really that shakes them to, and you know some would say trigger shake whatever that that gets in that um anxiety and it's a little less po- not less possible i mean i would say go to the bathroom and do that but anything else besides the breath i i agree with you breathing is fundamental for our nervous system control and it can really reset our nervous system. But is there any other tips like in the middle of the day or in the middle of the moment of that anxiety coming up that you recommend? Notice the thoughts that are coming with the feelings and see if you can create a mantra that's going to bring you a sense of peace or moment that you can... A sense of peace or ease in that moment. Like if you're going into the spiral, into those triggered moments, notice what's triggering you. And then can you create a mantra, a mantra being a phrase that's going to bring you back into the moment rather than following the thoughts that are causing, that can cause more stress or anxiety. That's amazing. And also I think for people, it's really important to know that mantras are not just woo-woo. They really have a impact on the brain. You know, our brain is wonderfully persuadable, which really can work for us if we take advantage of it. It can also work against us, you know, because if you think something is really dramatically wrong, you can really spiral down because your brain will continue on that thought. But if you have that ability to kind of just come in from the side door and almost, you know, push that the anxious thought or negative thought away, it it works. It is actually neuroscience that, so that repetition of some kind of mantra. Do you have a particular mantra that you use? Or probably you have a few. <laughs> yeah, I have a few, like, especially like 
depending on what is what is coming up, like if, if you have a lot on your to-do list, you're like, how am I going to get it all done? It's stressing you, worrying it out. I think like I am productive and at ease. I am productive and at ease rather than thinking like, oh, I need to get this done. Then I need to get this done. Then I need to get this done. I'm productive at ease. Or like another really good mantra that is helpful is there's things in life that happen that we just can't control. And coming back into the space, I surrender to the things I can't control. Mm. I release and let go of the things I cannot control. Because if we focus on things we can't control, we feel helpless. But if we acknowledge that there's some things in our lives that we just simply can't control, I release the things I cannot control. I surrender what I cannot control. Mm. That's, and I'm sure that must have helped you in your grieving of, for your father. I mean, cancer is something that is out of our control. We can do a lot. We have medicine and some people recover and some people don't. Were you at this stage of just intelligent, emotional intelligence after your dad died? I mean, was it a, um, were you able to grieve in a way that kind of processed all the feelings or did that have, did some of where you are now happen because of your learning how to grieve? Yeah. It was a learning. I was definitely not in a space of emotional intelligence. I was a place of, you know, being the victim. Why me? Poor me. I didn't understand that this was an evolution of happening for me. And I think that there was a lot of times where I would project my anger, my sadness onto other people. I couldn't take accountability that it was my own. Um, I was blaming others rather than claiming my own emotions. And I think that yoga gave me the tools to learn how to process. And I went 10 years of doing yoga, learning how to process, journaling, going through all the different layers of grief. And it wasn't until three years ago, I started seeing a therapist and she brought so much stuff out of me that I thought I had processed through. And she's like, you can only go so far with yoga and meditation, but this happened through relationship. You can heal it within relationship. So yoga, meditation gave me the tools. It taught me how to feel the feels, but I still needed therapy and I still needed someone to help me move through some of the anger and pain that I had bottled inside of me. Because I was only 17 when he died and I didn't even know what death was because he was the closest person that had died to me in my life. So it was my first experience with death. Mm. And I think that's really important. What you said is these are wonderful tools, but you know, for really deep-seated stuff, it's not enough. You need professional help. You need somebody else to gut, who, who is experienced at guiding people through this because there is... Oh, and you were so young. I mean, that's, you know, my dad died when I was almost 50. So it's very different, you know, like it was incredibly sad and I still feel sadness almost every day, you know? So it's, but it's, uh, I've lived a lot more years to be able to, to go into those places. And at 17, you're not supposed to, you know? So that's, so I'm sorry that happened at such a young age. And um, it obviously has led you in many ways to where you are today. And you have obviously a gift that you can give others from your own real wisdom. You're, you're very wise beyond your years. And I, and I mean that in, you know, like there's many 60-year-olds who aren't wise beyond your years. You're very wise beyond your years. You've done a lot of that work. And it's obviously also been a calling. It seems that from the very beginning, even when you were in school, you knew that that kind of, that traditional path was not going to be the one that would satisfy you. And 
I think so many people do it just because it's supposed to be done. You know, they don't know that there are choices. We have choices. We don't have to go down a path if it's not the one that's really calling us. So I'm sure that you are a great model for many. Um, And I was going to, that brings me to another point, which is that you are leading a, a really idyllic life. And I think many people would love to do what you're doing, live in Costa Rica, be teaching yoga. But what would you say if you still have struggles? What are you struggling with now? And how do you work on that? And it could be anything financially, socially, emotionally. Yeah. Thank thank you for everything you said. It gave me lots of goosebumps. But I would say that struggle is to be content with, with where I am. Because I felt like I had to become such a warrior at such a young age, you know, my journey really started at like three years old and a lot happened to me up until my dad died that there was this masculine warrior fight in me. And so my struggle today is taking down the armor and allowing myself to be more rather than needing to achieve to prove myself that I'm enough, that I have something to offer. And so the biggest thing of being here in Costa Rica is like, yes, I live this wonderful life. And then there's pieces of me like, what more can I do? How more can I help? And so it's like that, like, no, Amber, like this moment is it. Just be here in this moment. And so I think that the only thing that I can do is witness when there's that desire to achieve, which is where my calling came from, high achieving. Like, no, something more on the to-do list. Because if you're always looking to cross something off the to-do list, you're always going to add something new to the list. And so for the first time in my life, my friends asked me at the beginning of this year, what do you want, Amber? What more do you want in your life? And I was like, you guys, nothing. I was like, I've never been here. They're like, this is the first year, Amber, that I've known you and you didn't have a list. Like you didn't have anything. And it was, but then still, you know, as this year starts to turn on, I start to think about other little things. So witnessing it starting to come back, but also remembering like, wow, look how far you've come. Like from everything that I've gone through and then what I consciously created, I have four, four brothers and sisters and you know, one being in prison, one losing their kids and another like doing really well. There's so many different directions what we went through growing up could take us. And so just knowing how to let this moment be enough is, is the current practice. Wow. I love that. That should be the quote. Let this moment be enough. How beautiful is that? And I think that's really what everybody needs to learn and breathe and live is that there, you know, inevitably life has all of these twists and turns up and downs. And you're right, there's a lot of different paths that one can take. And whatever you're on, just let this moment be enough because that probably will help you make better decisions, you know, in the future because you're not always worrying about what else you should be doing. Well, this was such a pleasure to talk to you. Please t- uh, tell us how we can find you, find out more about you. If anybody wants to learn more about you or work with you and, and see what else you're offering, where can we find you? Mm, thank you. Yeah, this is a great way to start the morning. I think the best way to find me is on Instagram or Facebook, Amber Hagberg. Um, I have both links there. Um, I'll give you over after this session. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. So everyone check out Amber. What a beautiful soul in so many ways, Amber. And um, I really enjoyed our conversation. So keep living that wonderful life down there. Hopefully I'll see you someday in Costa Rica. Again, one of my favorite countries in the world. 
and blessings to you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I would love to, you know, explore the jungle with you or anyone that wants to come down. I think being here in the Pira Vida is like one of the best things that ways we can live our yoga practice and just really come to letting the moment be enough. She's such a good teacher. So thank you so much for your questions and holding the space for me. It was an honor. Thank you. And as always, everybody listening, I am pulling for you.